Baruch Hashem. So uh, the verse I want to start with is from Matthew 25. Uh, it's a very, very familiar verse. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. So we had at our home a couple days ago, our Chavara group. And Chavara, you, you may hear that term from the announcements that we do in every service from Lou. Um, it's our home group. The word Chavara means friendship. And that's what uh, a home group in Judaism is called, a Chavara group. Um, so we have one at Elena's house uh, every other week in uh, Ashland, Mass. And now we have one at my home, at Susie's home in Mapleville, Rhode Island, on the alternate Wednesdays. And we had one this past Wednesday, and it was about the end times. Uh, so one of us wanted to do, a, you know, asked if we can do a discussion on the end times. And it was a great time. We had a lot of people, both in person and on Zoom. And it was dug into a lot of different concepts, a lot of different aspects of the end times. Um, so one of the scriptures uh, that I'm going to read now from Matthew 25 is also pertaining to the end times. And it's when he comes, when the king comes, when Yeshua returns. And this is for all of us. And I'll read it from verse 34 to 40, Matthew 25. And he says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when, when did we do these things? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers. Why don't you repeat that? The least of these, my brothers, the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. So, you know, in our end times Havara group where we discuss the end times, one of the things that we discuss is like, when is it going to happen? And when does the end times begin? And we can have a lot of theological debate about that. But at the end of the day, when the king comes, when the redeemer comes, when the judge comes, and he separates the sheep and the goats, uh, he's not going to ask us, did you get that time right? He's not going to ask us, did you understand end times theology just right? Did you get the time just right? He's not going to ask us if we knew when the end times began and all the things that we discussed. He's not going to ask us if we got the time right. He's going to ask us, what did we do with the time that we had? It's not a matter of getting the end time right. It's a matter of what did we do with the time that we had. I think it's kind of a quote from Lord of the Rings, isn't it? Um, so in this verse, he's talking about what people did with what he called the least, the least of his brothers. And he mentions who they are, and it was obvious who they are. These are the, the unfortunate, or the less fortunate among us, the ones who struggle, the ones who suffer, the ones who are poor, the ones who are don't have clothes on their on their body, don't have clothes to, to clothe themselves, the ones who don't have food to eat, the ones who don't have drink, uh, even the prisoners, the prisoners. It's very interesting. We don't always, in our especially in our American minds, we don't always include the prisoners in that because the prisoners are guilty 
like these people did things wrong. Like the poor didn't do anything wrong. The hungry didn't do anything wrong. They're just unfortunate. The prisoners did something wrong and they're in jail. But he also, you know, speaks about the prisoners as the least of these um, that we that we visited. And he makes this this connection between these, let's say, less fortunate, the less fortunate among us, and himself. He said, "What you what you do to the least of these, my brothers, you do unto me." So he makes this connection as, as, if, as if he is them. And I think it's meant to be taken very literally that when there is somebody who is less fortunate, you know, somebody that's needy, somebody that's in need, somebody who is, is, just doesn't have food on their table or just can't get a drink or is, doesn't have enough money to buy clothes. These people that always come into our lives, we're not supposed to view them as just some needy person. Um, or just some person out there looking for a handout. We're supposed to view them as Yeshua himself. And I don't even think that that's a literal thing. I think that, I mean, a figurative thing. I think it's literal. I think we're meant to view them as him, period. Like we look for a, a, a connection with God and we look for a, an encounter with Yeshua. You want an encounter with Yeshua? Go to the homeless shelter. Yeshua is right there. You want to encounter with Yeshua? Go to jail. Go to a prison, Yeshua is there. You want an encounter with Yeshua? Go to somebody who's suffering um, with poverty or suffering even with depression. Go to somebody who is suicidal. That person is Yeshua. Uh, and that is what we're supposed to take from this, that Yeshua is that person. And we're always reminded of that. And that, that, equate, that verse speaks to all of us, even if we are impoverished ourselves. Even if we don't have food on our table, we can always look at somebody and say, this person is in need, this person is suffering, and I'm going to minister to that person, and I'm going to love that person as if that person is Yeshua himself. And that's what we take from that. And it's just amazing that that is something, as we study the end times, and in two weeks from last Wednesday, we're going to in two weeks, we're going to continue that same study because there's so much to talk about with the end times. We couldn't even get to the, get past the surface of it. So we're going to continue that study. But at the end of the day, let's remember that it's not a matter of getting all of that right. It's a matter of, not a matter of getting the time right. It's a matter of what we're doing with the time. And what is he going to catch us doing? What is, when he comes, which is going to be instantaneous, which is going to be at a time that we don't expect, what's he going to catch us doing? And we're, and we're reminded and we're, we're quickened and we're, um, encouraged to always look at the less fortunate among us and say, you know, that is Jesus, that is Yeshua. And I'm in my state, I'm going to be Yeshua to them as much as possible. And that's always a good thing to remember. Uh, I want to go a little deeper uh, to this concept of the least of these, my brothers that Yeshua spoke about, because he, he called them the least of his brothers. And I always try as best as I can to bring a, a Jewish perspective or a Hebraic perspective on verses that we've read over and again over the course of our lives and maybe learn something and glean something a little bit new from it that maybe we didn't hear before. Um, so when Yeshua speaks about the least of my brothers, uh, there are layers in scripture. And I spoke about this in the last or one of the last classes that I do online uh, in studying the book of Galatians, where um, the way to study scripture, there's always layers, always layers of depth, 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 depth in scripture, where um, we can take a look at things at a surface level, but we can go deeper, and then we can go deeper, and then we can go deeper. Uh, let's always remember that the scripture has a, has a finite beginning and a finite end. In fact, you in fact, the Lord said, God said uh, about the scripture, don't even add to it. 
right? He said that about the Torah, about the whole Bible. Don't add to it. Don't subtract to it. This is my word. And it's, it's, it's whole and it's finite as it is. It's got a beginning and it's got an end. Well, how is the word infinite if it's finite? If it's got a fixed length and a fixed width, you're not supposed to add or subtract. It's fixed. It's done. The word of God is done, but it's infinite. How can it be both? The answer is that it's infinitely deep infinitely deep write that down infinitely deep is the word of god and we're always encouraged to dig deeper 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 and in the plain sense of the text you know the least of the brothers that he's talking about are obviously the ones that are in prison and the ones that are homeless and the ones that are hungry uh but if we go a little bit deeper we're going to see something from a jewish perspective when he says the least of these my brothers who are the brothers of yeshua now these are the jewish people and when we speak about the least of the brothers, when you look at that from a Jewish mindset, it brings about um, something that certainly a Jewish audience and his Jewish audience would have gleaned from it that maybe we may miss. Now, there are 12 tribes of Israel, and we know that. There are 12 tribes of Israel. And let me ask you, who is the least of the tribes of Israel? Who is the smallest of the tribes? Who is the least of the tribes? And the answer since I can't hear you because I muted you all, is Benjamin. Benjamin is the least of the tribes. In fact, in the Bible, Benjamin is called the least of the tribes. If you go back, if you go back to the time of King Saul, uh, the first king of Israel, uh, who the prophet Samuel, Shmuel, anointed, um, when he first went to Saul, Saul went like, how can it be me? He said, it's in 1 Samuel 9, 21. Am I not a Benjaminite? Am I not from the tribe of Benjamin? The least, the least of all the tribes of Israel? This is how he answered. Like, I'm from the least of the tribes. So this concept of the least of the tribes or the least of the brothers of Yeshua brings up uh, the picture of Benjamin. Of, of his brother, Benjamin, who was the smallest tribe. They got the smallest allotment of land once Israel was in the land and the, and the land was, was separated out for the different tribes. Benjamin, who had the smallest amount of people, got the smallest amount of land. Um, so it's the smallest of the tribe, the least of the tribes. So if it brings up, if Yeshua is bringing up a hint of Benjamin, who's the least of his brothers, what you do the least of my brothers, you do to me. So what was done to Benjamin in a way that it was done to Yeshua? And that's something that I believe that if you, when you dig deeper, this is what this is a point that Yeshua is trying to make. When you look at it from that perspective of let's go into Torah and let's just go beyond the plain sense of what he said and, and dig into Torah and see what he might be saying. Now, Benjamin is a character in the Bible we don't hear a lot of. Uh, really, there's primarily one story that we hear about Benjamin. Um, now, Benjamin equates with Yeshua in an amazing way. I mean, if you just look at his name. Now, if we say that Yeshua equates himself with the least, if what you do to the least of my brothers, you do to me. So Yeshua is equating himself, equating himself with the least of his brothers. So how does, number one, how does he equate himself with Benjamin? Well, if you look at the name of Benjamin, it's, it screams Yeshua. Like what, is, what is the name of Benjamin? What does it mean in English? Benjamin, bin yamin. What does that mean in English? And many people know that. Binyamin, what does it mean? Uh, whether it's Benjamin in the Bible or it was Benjamin Netanyahu, what does it mean, Binyamin? Uh, and, and that word means son of the right hand. Son of the right hand. Who else can that be but Yeshua? Yeshua is the son. 
He sits at the right hand of the father. So if you have this character in the Bible, that's name is son of the right hand. Like that's a, that should be like, no, duh. That's like, I should have had a V8 moment. You know what I mean? That is like, you know, the son of the right hand. Of course, that's Yeshua. So of course, there's an equation with Benjamin and Yeshua just from his name. Even from his previous name, I believe there's a, an equation with Benjamin. Because if you remember, Rachel was, Rachel, Rachel was giving birth to Benjamin when she died. And because she was dying as this happened, she named him son of sorrow. Son of sorrow. But then the father renamed him to son of the right hand. And even the name son of sorrow uh, hints at Yeshua because he's a man of sorrow, according to Isaiah 53, acquainted with grief. So even with that, there's an equation with Yeshua. So now you see there is a linkage a very important linkage between this, this character, Benjamin, this, this one of the tribes of Israel, fathers of the tribes of Israel, Benjamin and Yeshua. And Yeshua relates himself to the least of, the, of, the, of his brothers, right? So what do we see in Benjamin? Like I said, we don't really see him much in the Bible, but the primary place we see him in a story is in the story of Joseph. And I'm not going to get into the whole story of Joseph. We all know it very well, but I will remind you that Joseph you know, represents Yeshua. He was hidden from his Jewish people. He dressed like an Egyptian. He was unrecognizable to his Jewish brothers. He was a leader over Egypt, a Gentile nation, uh, while his Jewish brothers thought they killed him and that he was dead. He was really alive and over a Gentile nation. That is very much like Jesus, isn't it? Like the Jewish people think he's dead and they got rid of him, but really he's alive and he's over a Gentile people, he's over a Gentile nation. And at the end of the day, he's going to take, just like Joseph took off his Egyptian garments and revealed himself to his uh, Jewish brothers, the same thing's going to happen with Jesus. He's going to take off his garments that make him look like an Egyptian, right, to the Jewish people, and he's going to reveal himself. And, um, but anyway, so if we go to the end of that story of Joseph, we see that Joseph kidnapped Benjamin. And this is all a test for his brothers. Um, and so he kidnapped Benjamin. And then what happened is his brother Judah stepped up and did something very Yeshua-like. He treated, he treated Benjamin in a way that's very Yeshua-like. And, and, and Judah stepped up and went to Joseph, who was the king at that point, or the second in command. And he said, essentially, release my brother Benjamin and take me. Now, Judah was a man that had an incredible calling on his life. I mean, this is the man that um, had the, the blessing with a, the lion of the tribe of Judah. You know, a cub will spring forth from, from Judah, a lion's cub, and the scepter will not depart from Judah. Like, these are amazing messianic prophecies that were given to this one man named Judah. Right? He had an amazing calling on his life, but he gave it up. He was willing to give it all up to rescue the least of the brothers, Benjamin. And he went to Joseph, who was Zafnaf Paneah at that point, and he said, release him and take me. Take me, kidnap me, take me as your slave forever and release him. And it was that action of willing to give up his life and his calling and everything for the least of his brothers that is what made Joseph lose it. And he started to weep and he took off his garments. So I tell you right now that what you do to the least of your brothers, if you see the least of your brothers around you, that is the catalyst. If you're willing to give yourself, give your life for the least of your brothers, that is the catalyst for Yeshua revealing himself in society. That's a catalyst for Yeshua revealing who he is to the world. Uh, when we, his people, are willing to give up our lives and, 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 and sacrifice and suffer uh, for the least of his brothers, the least of, of, of those around us, the ones who are suffering, the ones who are poor. So 
Judah was willing to give it all up to save the least of his brothers. And I believe that is the, 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 that is what, that's the picture that comes forth when Yeshua equated himself with the least of his brothers, because that brings forth Benjamin. And then we go into the Torah to see what happened to Benjamin. And Benjamin was one where Judah was willing to give up his call and give up everything on his behalf to save him. So um, that is, um, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. So may we all be ready and willing to, to sacrifice ourselves, to sacrifice, even not just give our lives, but sacrifice ourselves for those who are less fortunate among us. And remember that, needy person that bothers you, that needy person who's always looking for a handout, that needy person who's always, you know, knocking on your door for something. Just remember, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Always remember that. That's Jesus. You know, don't let that annoyance kind of well up. Like, oh, you know, here's another handout or the folks were always looking for, looking for something. You know, remember, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And when he comes back, he's not going to be asking us, did you get my end times theology right? He's going to say, what did you do while you were here? And that's how he, that's where he separates the sheep from the goats. Like, how did you, how did you, how did you, re, how did you interact? What did you do? How did you sacrifice yourself for the least of my brothers? So amen, amen. And I want to twist that at this point and, and go to another way of looking at this. Um, now, Benjamin was the least of the tribes. It was the smallest tribe. Um, and we know that King Saul, like I said, came from Benjamin. And King Saul knew that Benjamin was small. Like I, I read the scripture from 1 Samuel 9, where he says, I'm a Benjaminite. Like, why, how can I be king? How can I be king? I'm a Benjaminite. Not only did he say I'm from the least of the tribes, meaning Benjamin, but amongst all the people that are Benjaminites around me, I'm from the least of the families. Like, he saw his smallness, like he recognized his smallness, but he did not do something wise and holy and righteous with the acknowledgement of his smallness. Saul let his smallness become a complex, become a complex. He became insecure. It didn't drive him to do better. It didn't drive, drive him to be humble. It didn't drive him to connect with God more. Saul's a very tragic character. I always kind of weep for Saul. I don't know if anybody connects with Saul that way, but Saul is a very tragic character. He had the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came on him in power in the beginning of his, of his reign. He was a powerful, powerful king, but his smallness became a complex for him. And like, he couldn't get over it because one that came that was better than him and doing things that he couldn't do and killing 10,000 when Saul can only kill his thousands. He didn't just say, you know, he didn't, he didn't react to that humbly. He became jealous and he became angry. And um, he wound up getting a, a, an evil spirit in him rather than the Holy Spirit. Uh, God gave him the Holy Spirit, and it's so tragic. We see somebody who was anointed so powerfully by God and had the Holy Spirit fall so far because his smallness became complex, and his pedigree became an, an impediment. So the, what we need to learn from that is, you know, sometimes we all come from broken houses. We come from broken families, right? Um, we come from difficult times. We come from... Um, you know, we may have grown up very, very poor. And hold on, I see somebody in the waiting room. You know, sometimes we grow up poor. We grow up, you know, in a, in a, in a challenging house. But 
don't let the smallness of your upbringing, you know, get in the way of what God wants to do in your life, like it did with Saul. Um, it's very tragic what happened with Saul. You know, don't let your, and it's a great quote, don't let your pedigree be an impediment because God does not see your pedigree as an impediment. If you come, if you grew up with brokenness, God can use your brokenness. He can use your brokenness. And not only can he use your brokenness for you to, to build you up and to grow you more into the image of Yeshua, he can use your brokenness to help the broken. He knew what he was getting into when he came into you, Yeshua. He knew what he was getting into you. So don't let your, your upbringing, don't let your pedigree become an impediment to the purpose, the purpose that God has in your life. Because God has a purpose and he has a plan and he's not limited to the challenges of your upbringing, the smallness of your upbringing. You may view yourself as the least. You may view yourself like Paul did, like I'm the least you know, of, of my family and my family is the least of the families. You know, I came from, from humble beginnings, but don't let, don't let how the world may define you. And even don't let how your family define you as the limit, as a limitation of what God can do through you. I break that today in the name of Yeshua. Remember Saul at the end of the day, like he let his smallness become, overwhelm him in a way where he lost the Holy Spirit. He got an evil spirit and he, Saul ended his life with suicide. Remember that. Saul, at the end of his life, he committed suicide. That's bad. That's bad. And so don't let your, 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 your experiences and your history bring you to that point. I speak against a spirit of suicide in the name of Yeshua right now. And if everybody could just even just pray that, just speak against a spirit of suicide in the name of Yeshua. Amen? Amen. So don't let your, the smallness of your upbringing or, or the challenges with your, your family. You know, it may not be like, you know, genetics. It may not be your family tree. It may, may be more like family trauma right? That may have defined you early on. You know, maybe you grew up, you know, in an abusive home. Uh, many people do. They grew up in an abusive home um, where, you know, you experienced, unfortunately, as a child, abuse. God knew what he's, he's getting into when he picked you. Remember, Yeshua picks his disciples. Disciples don't pick Yeshua. And he picked you. And he picked you. And don't be like Saul, who, 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 you know, saw the smallness of his tribe and the smallness of his family. And, and that wound up turning it into turning him into somebody who was insecure so much. So when somebody was that, that was doing things better than him, he just couldn't take it. And he wound up, you know, getting an evil spirit. So let's learn from that. And let's learn, let's learn from David because King David also grew up with smallness, right? I mean, this is a man who was forgotten about by his family. Like when Saul, I'm sorry, when Samuel came to his family and said, one of your kids is going to be anointed the new king. Uh, David's father didn't even think of him. He left him out, you know, dealing with the sheep. He didn't even bring him to the lineup in front of Samuel. He didn't even bring him to the lineup. Like, how tragic is that? How hurtful is that? That he was even just forgotten by his father, Jesse. Like, no, it couldn't be David. It had to be one of the other ones. That's not a, that's not a good thing. But David was a man after God's own heart. He was a willing, it was a man that was willing to be humble. He was a man that was willing to repent when he did something wrong. He was a man that was willing to learn. He was a man that was willing to grow. 
David was a man that, you know, treated Saul almost like the least of these, my brothers. Like Saul was a man that was, you know, wanted to kill him. But David refused to lay his hand on the anointed of God, even though that Saul was in a bad place and Saul was in an evil place. He still viewed Saul as the anointed of God. And that's always a reminder to treat everybody, to view everyone as, as God's anointed. Don't touch God's anointed. Don't touch God's anointed. That's always a reminder for us that he treated Saul in his agony, in Saul's agony, as the least of these, my brothers, essentially, you do unto me. Even when Saul was looking to kill him, even when Saul was, you know, was possessed by evil spirits, David just, you know, played you know, music for him, played his harp. So be like David, who took his smallness and just, and just was humble through it, his small beginnings, but was humble through it. And God was able to use him because he was a man after God's own heart. Remember in our walk with God that we get that name change that I've spoken about before with Israel, how Jacob had his natural name, right? And he was a, a supplanter. He was a heel. He was a deceiver. The name Yaakov, Jacob. But he was given a new name of Israel, the one who wrestles with God and prevails. That's our heritage, the, the name change. Don't forget the name change. Even though you, your beginnings may be humble, even though your beginnings may be broken, don't let your pedigree be an impediment. All right? So remember that. Remember that. Remember that. You get that name change. You know, Saul probably could have benefited if, you know, Samuel gave him a name change. <laughs> Maybe Saul would have benefited from, from the, having that type of name change in the natural world if, if Samuel, the prophet, gave him another name. But I'll tell you, another Saul that got a name change, because about a thousand years later, another man named Saul that we read about now in the New Testament was given a name change to Paul. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, also considers himself the least, but he defined him, his being the least because he was the greatest of all the sinners. So here's another Saul who viewed himself as the least, but his viewing himself as the least came from he viewed himself as the greatest of sinners. And Paul had a tough upbringing also, right? He wasn't very proud of the way he handled believers, the way he killed believers, the way he persecuted believers. He spoke about that from his earliest letters all the way to his latest letters, like in Titus and Timothy, um, where he brings up that he's, he's the greatest of all sinners because he used to persecute the people of God. Like that stain never left him, it seems. Like we see Paul early on in his ministry. We see Paul writing later on in his ministry. But God used him even still. In fact, he used those experiences to enable Paul to minister the gospel to Gentiles, to Jews, and so and, and countless, countless myriads are saved because of what God did through Paul. Paul had a tough upbringing, and he had a tough history, but he, in, he used it to bring forth the gospel of Messiah. So don't let don't let your smallness, the smallness of, who, of, of, of your upbringing, the smallness of your past, um, this feeling that you're worthless, God is not limited by that. So don't be limited. So don't listen to those voices. Remember that God knows precisely, knew what he was getting into when he chose you as a disciple. He's not limited by the smallness of our past, the smallness of our history, the, the, the impediments of our, pe our pedigree. He is not limited by these things. And remember that. And remember that. So the least of these can turn into a, you know, we can view ourselves as least 
in, in the fact that we, you know, we're, we're broken people, but don't let that turn, turn you into something that's insecure to the point where you can, you know, where you can be limited into what God can do through you because you're so overwhelmed with insecurity and your smallness and, and the things that you've suffered and the things that you've suffered. God loves you and called you even with those things. So remember that, don't let that hold you back. He chose you uh, as a disciple, even with those things, even with those history. All right. So Baruch Hashem.